How many of you were encouraged this morning with praise and worship? It's uh, one of the highlights, I, I think. It seems uh, there's sometimes Sunday mornings you can come to church and feel kind of dry and feel kind of washed up. And with the time of singing and sharing our lives together, you, you, just, you can't but help leaving encouraged. And... Uh, uh, kudos to you, Sandra, for your, your step of faith, and it challenged me, as, even as a pastor, I, I'm challenged, deeply challenged by the step you've taken, and, and uh, I want to be more than challenged, I want to I <laughs> exemplify that. Well, this morning, investing is, is something, uh, in the future, is something that's really prolific today in our world, our our. Uh, our uh, our country, and the way it works is really very simple. You sacrifice now, you put something aside, and uh, with the idea of a future reward. Uh, another way of putting it would be planting today so that in the future you have something to harvest. You sacrifice now and invest in something, and hopefully with time it will grow and multiply and uh, you will uh, experience that reward. Dave Ramsey puts it this way, living like no one else does so that later on you can live like nobody else can. Today there are probably hundreds if not thousands of mutual funds. Uh, there are all kinds of mutual funds, some depending on your age. Uh, others are according to your political persuasion. Others invest in certain industries, stocks of certain industries. Uh, some even invest in so-called green energy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but they all have something in common. They all require you to take a risk. Now, obviously, the greater the risk, the more you can make or lose. And in... In the world of investing, most of you know there are plenty of unscrupulous people who are just loving and waiting for the opportunity to take advantage of you. Uh, we all lo love talking about the investments have, that have done well for us. Most of us would rather not talk about the things where we have lost our tails and uh, have been taken advantage of. Years ago, I made an investment on a piece of equipment and. I paid a lot more than I should have being young and inexperienced, but it really was a, it turned into a something positive because uh, through that I, I got to uh, learn to know a lot of people. I had a marketable skill, and it really gave me a lot of confidence in life. And today I can laugh about it. It wasn't so funny back then. But if, while it's true in this world that there are plenty of people who are willing to rip you off, and I'm sure that some of you have experienced that, don't let that stop you from investing. In fact, I would encourage you this morning to invest. But invest in something different. Invest in the eternal or God's kingdom because I promise you, when you invest in the eternal, God will never rip you off. And how important it is for us to be diligent and disciplined to invest in a spiritual portfolio. 
Last weekend, as we were camping, uh, I got to witness something that most of you probably didn't. Uh, Laverne stopped by our camper and uh, disclosed a need in our congregation. And uh, one of the couples that was sitting there heard the need and said, we'd like to take care of it. And they did it right then and there, took care of the need. All behind the scene, no one saw it. And it was probably one of the highlights of my weekend that here was, it's just something healthy about a congregation where we take care of each other. We, care, we, have, each, we have each other's back. No fanfare, no applause, just quietly behind the scenes supplying the need. And I would like to take my hat off to that couple this morning. But I want to come back to Dave Ramsey's slogan, living like no one else does, so that later, you, later on you can live like the majority of this world can't. It's a great slogan for investing in the eternal. Now before we go to Exodus, I want to stop by 2 Corinthians and help you understand some of the principles of eternal investing. And this letter that was written to the Corinthians were obviously written by the Apostle Paul understood something about investing in the eternal. And uh, when you think about investing time and energy in our finances, we worry about whether or not we're going to be ripped off. But it sure wasn't Paul. Paul didn't operate like that. Paul never used his position as an apostle to take advantage of someone or to manipulate someone. I want to show you that this morning, how gentle the Apostle Paul was. And allow me to give you the setting before we go get there. In the latter half of the first century, uh, persecution of the Christians had increased dramatically. And uh, the Roman emperor was losing touch with reality and his sanity. And the Christians were being tortured and martyred and families were being split up. And uh, the Christians being ostracized, you can imagine uh, how the difficulty of keeping a job or running a business, how difficult it was. And uh, the church at Jerusalem began to suffer financially. In fact, poverty was rampant, and survival became a daily challenge. And so the Apostle Paul, led by God, went to the other churches as he went through Macedonia, Greece, and uh, Corinth. He solicited contributions for the church at Jerusalem, for the Christians. Now the church at Corinth had, taken, had began this contribution, but they hadn't completed it. They had started it, but they never followed through with it. And uh, so Paul had, has a way of motivating them and getting them to complete it without embarrassing them or being antagonistic. He uh, sends ahead this advanced team and where they would collect the offering and would go on to Jerusalem before he gets there. So they wouldn't have to look him in the eyes and make some excuse and, and uh, start scrambling. I love how, how, how Paul has a way of being gracious with humanity. We're going to see this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1.
Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast to you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a, a year ago, and that your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that, as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I, it is nece necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead of you, to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that you may be ready at the moment matter of that you may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. This, but this I say: He that sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and and he that sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for, the Lord, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he dispersed abroad, and he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now he may... Now may he supply the seed to the sower and bread for food and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, wherein ye are enriched in everything and all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the ministration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also bounding through many thanksgivings to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them for all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Now, if you're like me, sometimes it helps just to hear it in everyday language so that you can kind of get the drift of what's going on. And I've done that. I've using Eugene Peterson's paraphrase to help you kind of get, understand what's going on. Now, if I wrote any more of this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. I know you're on board, ready to go, and I've been bragging about you through all of Macedonia province, telling them Achaia province has been ready to go on this since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready as I said you would be so my bragging won't turn out to be just so much hot air. If some Macedonians and I happened to drop in on you and found you unprepared we'd all be pretty red-faced you and us for acting so sure of ourselves. So make, uh, so make sure there will, so to make sure there is no slip up we've, I've recruited these brothers as an advanced team to get to you and, and promise to your promised offering already before I get there. Now, I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make, it, make up in your own mind what you will give. This will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves when the giver delights in the giving.
God can pour out his blessing in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything more than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the wind and gives the needy in reckless, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living and right giving ways never run out and never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant, is more than extravagant with you. He gives you something that you can give away which grows into full-formed, robust lives, robust in full-formed lives, robust in God. Wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way, producing, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social work, relief work involves far more than helping the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces an abundant and a bountiful thanksgiving to God. This relief offering is a prod to live at your very best, knowing your gratitude to God, being openly obedient to the plain message of the me meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude, gratitude through generous offerings to the needy brothers and sisters, and really toward everyone. Meanwhile, I've moved by, meanwhile being moved by extravagance of God in your lives, They'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Isn't that good? Paul sends this advanced team ahead to take care of the offerings so that when he gets to Corinth, he can just minister. They'll feel no pressure from Paul. That's just a gracious way of dealing with people's humanity. Uh, I'm just blessed by Paul, how gracious he is. Now, there are several principles here I want you to grasp in eternal investing. First of all, God wants you to invest freely. There's no arm twisting. Uh, he doesn't want anybody to be give begrudgingly. He wants you to give freely out of your heart. Um, he wants a servant who delights in, in giving to others. I, I've already made the comment, we spend half our life accumulating things and the, the other half trying to get rid of all of it. Uh, but that brings me, uh, uh, brings me to a saying I want to share with each of you. Do your living while you're giving. Do your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Do your living, giving while you're living, so you're knowing where it's going. One of the problems of many of us, we wait to do our giving until after we're gone. And we never can see the blessings of how we can impact lives. And uh, I challenge you today to consider to, to give, do most of your giving while you're still here. Uh, that's what the Apostle Paul was in encouraging the church at Corinth to do their giving while they're living. And I, I don't underestimate the power of doing something positive or a blessing to someone else. I recently just heard a secular counselor talking about how he ministers to some people. And most of these people were, were on antidepressants. They were seeing other psychiatrists. Uh, some were uh, suicidal. And he gives them something very simple to do. He said, I want you to do, 
Go home and do something nice for someone else without being asked. And then start a journal and write in your journal how this makes you feel. He said, then the next day, do it again. And just keeping it, do something nice for someone else without being asked every day. And just keep writing in your journal. Within a month or two, most of those had kicked antidepressants. And most of them had stopped going to other psychiatrists. Don't underestimate the power, the joy that giving can bring you by blessing other people's lives. Secondly, if your giving is stingy, your harvest will be stingy. And if you give lavishly, you reap lavishly. There isn't a farmer in this audience who doesn't know that if you sow only half the seed you need in the field, your harvest is going to be terrible. The harvest is in direct correlation to the amount of seed you sow. The same is true in eternal investing. If you, if you plant stingily, Plan on harvesting in a stingy way. Can you imagine how many beggars there are going to be in heaven because people were so stingy? They'll make it to heaven, but that's just it. Barely. Um, thirdly, God will surely bless your generosity. Um, and I'm not going to stand here like these prosperity teachers, who preachers who tell you that God is going to multiply. You plant a seed, and you're going to get 150% financial return on that seed. That's not true. But God has an unlimited way of blessing your lives when you give generously. And it might not be financially. Now, in the last message, I showed you through the lives of the children of Israel the need to be generous. But I want to take it a step further and, and see you, see, show you the reward of giving with purpose and with commitment. And again, I want to use the children of Israel to do that this morning. Um, we're going to come back to Mount Sinai. The children of Israel are camped in front of it. Uh, Moses has been up to the mount. He's met with God. God has given him the law or the Torah. And he has, has, been, has been given some instructions to share with the children of Israel, and he does that. We find that in Exodus 25, verses 1 and 2, the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who giveth, gives it willingly with his heart, shall ye take my offering. Why would God need an offering? God owns everything uh, he possesses everything. He's all-knowing, all-seeing. He, he possesses it already. Why would God need an offering? Well, you see, God wanted his children, the children of Israel, to know the joy of giving. Um, he wanted his people to be givers. 
to know, to give willingly. Um, but it goes deeper than that. He wanted to introduce to them eternal investing. Uh, how that he wanted them to understand that when you sacrifice now, if you are willing to sacrifice now, you have a greater reward in the future. There's greater reward. It works that in the eternal. It's just how it works. Um, so the, Moses delivers these instructions to the people in, verse, in chapter 35. It says that Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These the words are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the Sabbath day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on this day shall be put to death, and ye shall kindle no fire throughout your dwelling on the Sabbath day. So Moses delivers instruction, but he turns it around, makes the Sabbath the first instruction, taking time and uh, setting aside time with God. Real generosity comes from knowing God. And um, in the last message, I challenge you to take some extra time with God on Saturday. Prepare your heart for Sunday worship. Just spend extra time with God. And I have no reason to believe that those of you that have committed to that haven't done so. A truly generous heart is the one that has met and knows God. Now Moses continues. Verse 4, Moses spake to all the congregation of the children of Israel, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering of the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, silver, gold, silver, and bronze, purple, blue, purple, and a scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood. Oil for the light, and spices for the anointing, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath, has commanded. The tab tabernacle, its tents, its covering, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. The ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, etc., so God gives them an, a construction project. They are to build him a tabernacle, a place for him to dwell in. Now up to this point, God has never dwelled in anything. But can you imagine God loving his people so much that he's willing to confine himself to a tabernacle? Can you imagine that? So, what was the response? Well, chapter 36 tells us what the response was of the people. Man did the people give. Then Moses called Bezalel and Holiab, and every gifted artesian in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, and everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the making the sanctuary, so they, so they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, 
each from the work they were doing, and they spake to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work of the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment. They caused it to be proclaimed throughout the throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing. Can you imagine that? Now we talked about it that last time, how it would sound for some Sunday morning, James to have to stand up and say, hey, no more offerings for a while. We, we have so much, we have no idea what to do with all of it. Now it hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure when it does, James would love to stand up and say that. But have you ever stopped and considered how much they actually gave. Well, in chapter 38, we're given an inventory list. 38, verse 24, And all the gold that was used in the work of this holy place, that is, the gold of the, gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Verse 25, and the silver from those that were numbered of the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Verse 29, and the offering of bronze was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. Well, that might as well be written in Greek because most of us, or none of us, do business in talents, and in shekels. Well, according to the Wycliffe commentary, the gold amounted to 49,940 ounces troy weight, and the silver amounted to 140,828 ounces troy. And according to last Friday's closing prices and commodities, Closing gold price was 1,333.80 and the silver was 28.17. So the gold that they gave for the tabernacle in today's prices was 66,609,972 dollars. And the silver amounted to another 3,967,688 dollars. totaling to more than $70.5 million is what these people gave. And these were people that did not even own a house. They were living in tents. Just a bunch of wanderers. If you would put... Add to the bronze, the skins, and everything else that was given, it could easily total some $80 million. Isn't that amazing? But you see, not only did they give to this offering, they also built it. So... 
I want you to understand that internal investing is more than writing a check. It's about giving your time, your talents, your spiritual gifts for the eternal things of God. They shape the wood. They shape the gold and silver. They overlaid the, they wove the fabric. They made the curtains. They crafted the bronze laver, the bronze socket, the Ark of the Covenant. And they didn't have the modern tools that we do today. They made the Holy of Holies a place where God would dwell. In fact, that place was so holy that the priest would only enter it once a year and he would take a saucer of blood and he would sprinkle it in between those two cherubs in the mercy seat for the sins of the people and then he would back, back out of that not to enter again for another year. And they built all of this in some 11 months. 11 months. Exodus 39, verse 42. And according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. And Moses looked over the work, and indeed they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. And Moses blesses them. Moses inspects it all, and after he's finished, he blesses them. It doesn't say how he does it. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I can imagine Moses thanking the people. I can imagine him thanking them for giving, for carving, for overlaying, for crafting, for weaving. I can imagine Moses speaking some kind words of praise. Good leaders give plenty of praise. And in chapter 40, Moses, God gives Moses the instructions to set it all up. Verse 1, and then the Lord spake to Moses, saying, On the first day of the month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And this gives you a little bit of an idea what it was like. Um, that's about the size of a football field. It was smaller than that, but it still took a lot of work. There's, there's the Holy of Holies. There's the Ark of the Covenant. So Moses does this. He's never done this before. He, he brings things together, and uh, he, he, he anoints it, he consecrates it, and then he sets it up. And he, and he, for something else, he brings it, and he anoints it, consecrates it, and sets it up until everything is set up. And in verse 34 of, of uh, chapter 40, 
It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord God filled the, ta- filled the tabernacle. Can you imagine the gasps as, as the light of God, the brightness of God, the Shekinah glory came down upon that tent and within the Holy of Holies. F.B. Meyer writes, the tabernacle was the most superb building of its kind ever reared by man. It must have been cost an immense sum for the fugitive nation of slaves. The pedestals were put, placed at intervals along the sand to uphold the upright boards. The gorgeous tapestry was composed, which composed ceiling and walls. The golden furniture of which of the seven branch candelabra alone weighed 100 weight of gold. The brass wrought in 60 bronze pillars with the silver capitals and hooks from which were suspended curtains of ever so slight a gauze that the people could all see that was transpiring in the outer court. How costly were these. Now on the anniversary of the Exodus, it stood forth, completed in the desert sunshine. It must have seemed to all who beheld it as fair as the New Jerusalem did to the eye of seer John who beheld it descending out of heaven from God. It must have furnished new and large conceptions of his divine majesty. You know, as they stood there watching God's glory come down upon this, I can't imagine one person thinking how much he gave. The creator and the created together. You see, when you become lost in worship, Quantities no longer matter. What matters is what matters is his glory. Everything we've done pales in comparison to the glory of God. Everything. You see, it's the whole point of this message. The reward of your glory is to be able to, the reward of your labor is to be able to see God's glory. You get to see his glory, his glory. When you invest in temporal things, that's exactly what your reward is going to be, temporal. It's going to be here right now. When you invest in the eternal things, you not only get to have joy in this life, you'll be able to see his glory in the next life. Glory in his life to come. Let's bow. Who and what are you living for? Regardless of what we say, we, we demonstrate what we love by how we, we give our time, our energy, our money, our talents, and our gifts.
A few of you might have noticed the little word, our, that I've used. I used it because it seems to be the lenses or the glasses that many of us are using today. And how quickly we, we all seem to forget that it all, it all belongs to him. And that to give back is just our reasonable service. Are you willing to sacrifice now to be able to invest in eternity? Are you living like nobody else does so that later on you can live like the majority of this world can't? Let's pray. Lord, as we bow before you and your glory this morning, we realize anew that you are you're worthy. Lord, thank you for blessing us all beyond measure, for meeting our needs, for calming our fears, and sustaining us through those in seemingly impossible times. Holding us close in those moments of confusion, those moments we are unsure and insecure. Thank you for forgiving us those moments that we ran from you. How grateful we are in those moments you ran towards us. May we as your people see your glory today by faith as as the strangers and pilgrims who have walked before us and in the future by sight. Stimulate within us the joy to invest lavishly and faithfully in your kingdom and in your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.